And this episode of The Carmudgeon Show is sponsored by Pennzoil, where performance goes beyond just protecting engines. Whether you like screamy things, like a Porsche GT3, or turbocharged things, like a GTI, Pennzoil makes an oil for you. Um, I think you own both of those cars. Well, then they make two oils for me. Clearly the proof is in the Pennzoil? Evidently. All right. Um, that was awkward. Any other housekeeping? Was, was I supposed to clean up something? Hyphenissimi. <gasps> you should do that. I think we just started the episode. All right. Episode number 50. Five zero. Um, of the Carmudgeon Show. Part, part of the, of the Haggerty, Haggerty Podcast <laughs> Network. <laughs> Podcast Come on. Network. So clearly we're going to have to work on our uh, ability to do... Um, introduce ourselves. Introduce ourselves. Your name is Hifon, hyphen, yes. from Isimi. Hyphen Isimi, if you will. Um, yes, and I am... What's my name? Isn't that a song? Are you supposed to sing? No. So the previous uh, intros, when we were Carmagenissimi, was me singing. And I think 47 of those episodes were enough. <laughs> no one ever needs to hear me sing anymore. Um, I am Jason Camisa, and this is The Carmagen Show, otherwise known as to us sitting here bitching about everything. What is our subject of bitchery today? Uh, I'm not going to bitch. I'm going to celebrate. No, first I'll bitch. Well, is it your birthday? No. What? Are you implying that I'm 50? You don't look a day over 70. Thank you. <laughs> I don't uh, like these flowers. I, I, had an, I had a nice emotional moment this past weekend. We were driving along at a definitely legal, legal speed. And uh, I realized I found my people. I was in a group of people who used turn signals. <laughs> Oh, no, I, I am a pretty religious turn signal user. Yeah, like it's like every time you make a lane change, you signal. What a concept. The future is here. Yeah. Um, so this was part of a rally that you put together. There were, it was, there was, it was very legal. A rally lit. Four yeah. cars. Four cars. Um, so yeah, so this past weekend, uh, we went out with four cars and we I did 624 miles of very spirited driving. This is the car. most Jason Camisa ever conclusion. Why? Because you have an exact number of miles. Yeah, the problem was three more than it would have been if it was exactly 1,000 kilometers. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so I think this is something that we've done. We do twice a year. Mm -hmm. I'm going to clear my throat away from this mic. This mi I'm still not used to this microphone. I know. This is all awkward. We're just sitting here like, oh, what is this doing I in my face? I can get unnecessarily intimate how romantic no um so yeah a couple times a year we get together derek somehow comes up with a map of really squiggly roads and we get a bunch of friends and we get some hotel rooms and we spend two three four days driving like reasonable human beings on very smooth non-twisty back roads yep doing everything legal <laughs> not getting any enforcement stops not running anyone mm -hmm. off the road i mean if you think about it we had four cars we did 620 miles a piece that's what, a total of 2,400 man miles or car mi miles traveled. Um, 2,500? Mm. And only one ticket. And he deserved it. <laughs> mm. I mean, this is a friend of ours. He didn't, no one ever really deserves a ticket. But that could have been a nasty one. Uh, he got off easy, yes. Yeah. Uh, there are definitely people who deserve tickets, but those are the ones who never get them, right? When you see a, let's see, what is it going to be? It's going to be a charger going through traffic without turn signals at like 115 miles an hour, right? Those are the ones who deserve tickets. I think those are Altimas. Altimas do it too, but chargers, it's a... I, d I just find that the state of the American driver, is something we've talked about before, is really upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so we left, what, Friday morning, and I think it was 8 o'clock we got together, 8.30, whatever time it was, and then about an hour into the drive, I think it was the first time I said, I'm going home. I thought you were going to. I, I really thought about it because we, at that point we were only 25 minutes away from home. And I thought, you know, I've had an hour of driving and 100% frustration the entire time at people doing 30 something miles an hour in a 50, 55 zone or just not paying attention. Part, not paying attention is the bad part. 
the land of the free is such a wonderful concept. I like that that deep sigh you just did. The land it's it's such a wonderful idea to have people be able to do what they want when they want. But I think some people on the road take it a little bit too far and they don't realize that their lack of awareness is hindering us from being free. And the biggest problem that I have is California's back roads have the dumbest passing policy of any is it a policy it's a law. It's Every, a configuration, configuration, right? It's part of the built environment. These people, whoever designed this is an asshole. Everywhere else I've ever lived, you have passing zones. And so what you're doing is saying, if you are somebody who wants to go more quickly, given any opportunity where there's not oncoming traffic and there's not a double yellow, you are allowed to pass that person. California doesn't do this. You do it some, but they're very, the engineers, road engineers in California are very conservative about supplying passing zones. I mean, in 2,400 car miles of driving in 600 miles we probably saw 10 passing zones i mean they're very rare so the the onus is actually the other way around in california it's put on the slower car so the rule is is it four or five i i think it's five it's five it's five so if you are driving on a two-lane road in california and there are five cars behind you you are required by law to immediately or as soon as he's practical practically practically how many syllables in that word practicable practical or is it practically able those are different solutions okay so the way i would say that is as soon fucking soon as you can (laughs) you pull over that's even more syllables (laughs) (laughs) fucking doesn't count it's just two syllables zero um as soon as you are able you are required by law to pull over and allow other people to pass and this is a dumb law on for many reasons the first one is why do you have to collect five other people behind you right? That means you could conceivably be stuck behind a Subaru Outback for six hours before waiting for a fifth car to show up. Right, exactly. That's we need to do five car rallies and not four car rallies anymore. Well, I don't think we really cared about that law. So the second is, and we'll get, we'll get to that in a second. The, the second problem with this is it's putting the onus on, on allowing passing on the slower driver. Who is automatically probably a little bit more tentative and possibly has their head farther up their ass as well. Like, Sorry, was that unnecessarily judgmental? No, I just thought, all right, so finally episode 50, the real Derek is coming out. Derek is a nice person until there's road rage involved. The phrase Mm -hmm. my dad would use is, is this unnecessarily graphic? Craniorectal inversion? (laughs) No, but that's a great one. He'd say they wouldn't know their ass from a hole in the ground. They'd try and walk up to a hole and take a shit out of it. Wow. (laughs) I knew the first half of that. I don't think I heard the second half of that. It might be a my dad original. I'm not sure. Uh Uh, anyway obliviousness oblivious that's the thing is if you're doing 20 under the speed limit chances are you're oblivious yeah and your resources are fully consumed by just keeping the car on the road even if you are only going 19 miles an hour yeah so what invariably winds up happening is so over the course of this 624 miles we probably bullied 40 people out of the way (laughs) i mean what what's the other term right so what'll happen is you come up on a pickup truck like this is a perfect scenario we're in pretty quick well we're in slow cars but we're moving pretty quickly we fly up on the back of like a nissan frontier who's moving at a reasonable pace he then picks up the pace immediately doubles his speed and it tries to show us how much of a man he really is in his nissan pickup truck makes four corners and realizes oh these motherfuckers mean business I'm going potentially to potentially drop a wheel. Right, trying. But invariably at a after a short order pulls over at signals, signals slows down. Signals and slows down in that order. Right. So that's a pet peeve of mine is when people slow down and then signal. Signal then slow down. George Carlin did a great routine on people who put on their signal like right when they're completing the turn to tell you where they've just been. <laughs> yeah. Exactly that. But like, I, I, that's something that I was taught early on driving, which is you signal uh, and then slow down because it signals your you're intent. about to change right. speed that, also right then it causes someone mm-hmm. to pay attention something's about to happen right. right if you slow down and then signal it's like yeah so well the people behind you who are invariably three inches on your bumper off of your bumper because you're driving too slowly hit you so so you know the sort of people who are paying attention tend to pick up their pace then they signal when they start to see an opportunity come down or even not like they're putting on their signal like hey i'm looking for somewhere to pull over they will then slow down to a reasonable pace and pull off the side of the road under control under control and then we pass and we wave and we thank them and 
the world goes on its merry way. Then there are the assholes in the Subarus. And I don't know if it's just a West Coast thing, but every it used to be there were Buick drivers that were the slowest on the road. And then I had a Brit photographer that worked with me years ago say, everywhere you go, anywhere in the world, there's always a fucking Toyota in your way. And now it's a Subaru. Yeah, so definitely there was a long Prius era, which I think we're still experiencing. Um, But yeah, Subarus, especially the big ones. Mm -hmm. The the, the small ones too, but the the big ones are owned by boomers usually. Definitely not like... I'm, there's never an STI in your way. There's never a WRX in your way. Most no, impresses no. are okay. It's a but legacy it's, outback. Yeah, yep. Um, or a Forester and then yeah. a Crosstrex. Or what's the, what's the bigger one? The, the, the SUV. Ascent? Ascent. Ascent. It's more like a Tribeca. descent. <laughs> um, but yeah, what I, what I noticed is then there's the... So you have this sort of Nissan pickup truck dude. We probably saw 10 of them. Yeah, Ooh. or like a Jeep XJ was a great example that uh, woman f- textbook she it was amazing so it was highway one she was driving along in an old jeep and before we could even fly up on her ass she was looking obviously looking for a place to pull over for us yes and good vehicular body language right yeah. she was signaling intent yeah she was actually she was hugging the right side of the road that was interesting so she immediately moved all the way to the right side of the lane as if to say i know you're there and i'm looking and then signal went on and then she finally just pulled over slowly with the turn signal on at a reasonable rate of speed and let us go by it was amazing and you compare that to some of these well there was a prius Um, last prius i can't we what are you saying something eric is getting in trouble by our producer Uh oh Oh, the, are you getting assaulted by an armrest? No. Um, we all have assault <laughs> moments, I guess. Um, so <laughs> I'm just as confused as you guys are. I don't know what the hell happened, but Derek knows. Um, so you compare Jeep, Jeep lady with Prius woman. Mm. Yeah. What, so we were, uh, I can't even, I'm going to, I'm going to blow a gasket if I, I tell this story. Do it, do it, do it, do it. So there was like, um, there were three cars in front of us mm-hmm. and we're just like, oh, this is fucked. We're never going to have any enjoyment. So we're in four, we're four cars. So now this person has at least six cars behind them piled up. Right. One was a, it was a Range Rover Sport was in the number two position. And then there was it that was, electric bolt. There was a bolt, like a 90 year old man in a bolt. Yep. Yes. So, right. So he yields and then it's like, okay, now we have two cars to deal with. And then eventually the Range Rover yields and then like the Prius is maybe instead of going 19 is going 21 miles an hour but still vastly in a 55 zone yes correct yes with no passing zones and so now there is to just to put this in perspective there's a prius doing 30 something miles an hour under the speed limit with a 964 driven by derek on his ass followed by me and an e30 two miatas a range rover sport and a a 90 year old and a bolt for how many days did Uh, this go on 60 to 90 yeah however long it takes for something to come from the federal government um and drives by like three three of the i don't know three ones where they're paved right there's unpaved ones where you're like "Mm, that works fine it's not paved but and but then there's like the luxurious paved ones where it's like there's a sign that says turnout and like a line where you're like okay you wait on this side of the line that indicates that you're off the road but still in the pavement so people can pass you Mm -hmm. like a boat like there may as well have been a neon sign and a porta potty there for like a rest stop i mean it's a very official plus all of the signs that say slower traffic must use turnouts yes that don't apply to prices obviously so she drives by three of those, and so then... And probably 25 dirt yes. turnouts that she could have used. And then there's Jason with um, <laughs> nonverbal vehicular communication. Okay. Um, so my thing about this is, if someone is offending you, it's your right to tell them to fuck off, for lack of a better term. I am not shy with my nonverbal communication on a back road. If someone is going below the speed limit and they are required by whether hold on stop if someone if we if there's five cars on your ass you are required by law to move out of the way period it's not I don't make the rules I just enforce them <laughs> and as long as it's not the speed limit rules <laughs> as long as it's not the speed limit but but these people are required by law so I'm not going to be shy about it and the way I see and it, you aren't I'm no I'm not because I think what the goal there is to give this person a very clear indication that we want to get past them. So I, 
most people will sort of creep up your I think your default way of going is to sort of creep up on them and you know get fairly close and then back off mm-hmm. I approach it slightly different I fly what funny enough actually I noticed this behavior from you this past weekend you I do it sometimes you pick up the pace when you see when there's a carrot in front you go for it so you pick up the pace and then I want you, to get it done I want to rip the band-aid off right exactly get get there because you don't want to miss a turnout opportunity that they exactly. could have used because you're too exactly. far back right exactly so we do the same thing we fly but I fly right up on them make it very clear that I want to get past and then back off right so I've now said I would like to get past but I'm still close enough to them that they I don't want them to necessarily be uncomfortable, but I want it to be a very clear intent. intent. Signal intent. Right. And so what would invariably happen is you would get fairly close, back off a little bit, and then if God help them, they passed a, a turnout. Or three. Or three. But by the time the first one is done, I'm now pissed. I'm irate. They're breaking the law. They're being incredibly inconsiderate. And now they need to know that there's a crazy person two cars back. <laughs> So you're there, you will occasionally flash, you will occasionally use acoustic accoutrement to help your case. Uh, and the then, problem with my car also is that you can't really tell because it's only one single main headlight, you can't tell when it's flashing or not mm-hmm. flashing. For that purpose, I would really like a car with four headlights. That's, that's a really good point. Because you have those. Well, so I was in an E30, which has, you know, has separate the high inner beams. headlights are high beam only. And my strategy this past weekend was to to duck over when there's not a double yellow. So when it's, you know, you have free reign of the whole road, duck over halfway into the oncoming lane when it's safe and just flash, 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 flash. And so their indication is that, oh, hold on, there's a car, two cars back now that wants to pass. What I realize is more times than not, they don't even notice us back there. They're in their own little worlds doing 31 or 46 or whatever it is on reasonably slow speed. They're not looking. And so having having a car two cars back visibly flashing makes them look up you can watch them look up and then they start to search for someone to pull over plus the good cop bad cop of it is that you're just sitting there nicely in your porsche politely politely waiting and then there's a lunatic and a bmw behind which is perfect and then two miatas behind them on our asses going get these people out of the way and i think it worked i was so amused by the fact that once so we always run in the same order which is me in the number one position because i'm the unlucky guy who has to break the wind uh excuse me Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, and then Jason, number two. And then uh, you everyone else behind us. Uh, and one of our participants was like, oh, what do the, the inner headlights do? Uh, are those fog lights? And I was like, mm-mm. Those are definitely high beams. Yeah, because he was behind, he hadn't seen. Yeah, he was in the p- number yeah. three position behind Jason the whole time. And like, after 600 miles of seeing Jason's high beams, I was like, nope, those are not fog lights. Yeah. Those are I definitely need to put LED uh, high beams in that car. And I don't really care about the beam pattern because I typically don't drive them at night. But I need that instant on. What I've realized is instant on flashing LEDs really get people's attention. Where sort of fady on halogens are far less effective. So I'm going to get the biggest wattage, brightest, uh, most blinding high beams I can get for that car. Yeah. I mean, it used to be a thing where all the Porsche wankers would put rally lights on their hoods and stuff like that. But I mean, that's a sort of compelling reason and wire them up to the high beams. Mm-hmm. If I were a genuine road terrorist, then uh, like some <laughs> other participants, then uh, like some other part. Are you talking about me? I mean, you, okay, let's just be honest about something. The reason that I am in the number two position an on angel. that back road, you are Satan incarnate on a back road. The reason that I'm in second place is because you are so much faster than I would be. Now, part of that is death wish. The other part is that you're in a car with far more grip, typically. So this was your 964, which is basically race prepped. And I'm in a $6,000 shitbox E30. Which is also race prepped. Was. Do you know how, the, what the damage <laughs> total for this past week was? How many? Uh, <sighs> oh, that's right. You had a suspension. Failure is a strong word. Decomposition. So so I had Beatrice, which is the, the 180,000-mile E30 that has, was on H&R Race Springs, or is, and Bill Stein shocks. And I, that's kind of it. That's all that's done to it. Shock springs and a fast steering rack. I think it's genuinely, genuinely magic. And grippy tires to match. Like, mm-hmm. what are those, 200 treadwear? Something like that. I don't even remember what they're on because I don't, I didn't buy those tires. They came on the car. But they're like sticky bridge stones. Um, and that you wouldn't want to drive in the rain. 
not anymore. Not, not that they have no tra- uh, tread left. They're no, they're like R seventy one Rs. They're fine. I mean, they're you know they're aggressive, ultra high performance summers. I think how Tyrek would put them. They're not max performance, but um, the beginning of the rally, it became clear that the right rear shock had no longer. It had checked out. It doesn't it was, damp. It was it's only- a damper that no longer damps. It's mm-hmm. a dampless damper. Um, and so, you know, sort of get a little bit of a, you know, motion on the right rear. And then, then a exhaust heat shield decided to, uh, lightweight itself. Uh, but luckily we got it off the car before it flew off and hit one of the Miatas behind us. And then during the course, like shortly after lunch on day one. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty early on. But I think that was just previous owner BS because there are four bolts holding that thing on and three of them were gone. And the last one was, was coming off. So I just don't think they had been properly torqued. Uh, and then, so by the end of the rally, the front right shock is also blown, and the upper strut bearings blown, broken. How did all that happen? I don't hmm. know. Bumps, jumps, and then also the one of the three rear exhaust hangers is broken off, and the other two are hanging on by a thread. And I broke a headlight and the windshield. Oh, was that windshield? The windshield was it was already started pre-stress relieved a bit. Yeah, now it's uh, fully broken. Totally worth it totally yes. worth it that was that was 600 miles of let's call it 500 of the 624 miles were really enjoyable really fast paced and by fast pace i mean we really don't have to speed on these roads like yes you, you and i of course we talk about this often and i think a lot of car enthusiasts don't do this because either they don't have the car or they don't have the roads for it and we're so lucky to live in a place where we can drive an hour and be around this type of stuff. And we both really enjoy exactly the same thing, which is being at the limit, but at a speed that's low enough where if something goes wrong, then you're not cartwheeling down a mountainside. Right. I mean, we've had two incidents on rallies where friends of us, uh, friends of ours have gone off. Yep. No one's ever gotten hurt. Both cars were, I think both cars were totaled, but only just because they're $5,000 cars. Um, No one's ever, never any intrusion into the car. It's just always thunk into a tree at 10 miles an hour. Um, Basically what we're, what, my goal on these things is to th- see them as a rally stage, right? You need to, but it's a rally stage on an open road. So you need to make sure your sight lines are always there and you can always stop before you get around the corner. Like if you came around the corner and there's a, you know, Prius stopped in the, or evolve a wagon stopped in the middle of the road, which happened. We all stopped. I mean, that guy could have not been doing more than 10 or 12 miles an hour. Yeah. Genuinely. Um, genuinely. And we're probably coming around a corner, at, you know, almost squealing tires, nine tenths at like 45, 50 miles an hour. Um, but all four cars stopped as a testament to how much we're paying attention. I then, well, and also the luxury of being at the limit around a tight enough corner where you're at the you know top of second gear yeah. instead of in fourth. Because yeah. if you're hauling on these roads that are fast, and as much as I am a hellion on wheels, like I on the fast stuff, it's like I just sort of don't go faster than sixty-five or seventy because there's no joy to be had there. I I, I think that's why our driving styles align so much. I have no desire to hit a peak speed between twenty of, of of eighty. Yeah. I mean there was one section of road where I finally got into really genuinely into third gear. So most of the most of this there's a big gearing difference between the E thirty, my E thirty and your nine six four. Second gear gets me to about sixty, somewhere around there, fifty eight. Um kind of hard to tell because i have the wrong size tires on the car but um most of the time i was at 4,000 rpm in third gear through you know the fast section so getting up to about 60 or 55 not really even speeding um technically and then you know really the slow hairpins i could hear you downshift i could always hear this um from in front of me and then i knew you were going down in second so i knew i would have to go down in second to keep up with you on the way out of the corner um but there was one section of road where I hit the limiter in third gear on a straight twice. And that's 77 miles an hour probably in the 55 zone. Yeah. Is it speeding? Sure. But do we all go faster than 77 on a straightaway in a 55 zone? Mm, yeah. So, but what I love is we can have this amount of joy and enjoyment and G forces in every direction. G forces. At 40, 40 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. It's a rally stage. And you need the right roads for that, and you need the right car. And this is the reason why we always are shitting on hypercars, because to be at the limit... And it's funny, because we, you and I do this with some regularity, and we are all in kind of old cars with relatively low limits compared to a new Porsche GT3 or a Ferrari 812 or something like that. And I've led a couple, or I guess I led, yeah, I've led a couple of drives with ECME, and I always worry, and you always make fun of me for this, because I'm always worried about being in the way, especially with you behind me. Like, 
there's not a lot of people you want to see behind you in the mirror, especially knowing how much rage they could be potentially capable of. And so it's never directed at me because I don't fuck up, I guess. But um, it's, it's having Jason Camisa in your rearview mirror is uh, an experience, especially when he's he's uh, using all of the lighting available on his car. <laughs> but here's the thing. Let me let me let me. So, all right. Let, finish your thing about ECM, and then I want to go back to what it's like having a lunatic tailgate you. <laughs> uh, ECM supercar drives. So um, I always worry about being in the way, especially because my car has 250 horsepower and there's people out there in 500, 600, 800 horsepower cars. Uh, and on these types of roads, like I, I was very gratified to find that there was a new speedster who was obviously trying to close the gap and couldn't. We were very evenly matched in terms of pace on this type of road. And that to me tells you everything you need to know about new cars and old cars. And it's about the kind, kind of way that I use a car. And so there's nothing valuable to be gotten out of a modern high-performance car that I can't get out of my GTI or my 964, which I think are about the same speed on a back road. Uh, and, you know, oftentimes on some of the really gnarly stuff, these guys in supercars would be dragging splitters and stuff like that. And so it's like that's it adds stress and it adds expense and you're not going any faster and you're still, you know, about the same pace. So, so I find that typically your pace and my pace are much more to do with what we would do versus what the car could do. So we'll we'll get up. I mean, I'll, I'll happily drive a car to its limit on on a public road because I'm comfortable enough controlling it over the limit. So I'll do 10 tenths of what the car can do, but I won't usually do 10 tenths of what the road would allow in terms of top speed in between corners and whatever. So I'll yes. slide around every corner and I'll use all the available grip and acceleration to a point. Um, but typically what yeah, probably halfway through third gear is kind of the, the, yeah, kind of the top limit, but typically what, what the limiting factor is what you would do, what, you know, you're just not willing to go fast and en fast enough around a corner that you can't stop in time or, you know, stop in time to avoid serious injury should anything go wrong. Or if you hit a patch of dirt or gravel or anything else like that, cause you just don't know what you're coming up on. There has only been one time where you couldn't keep up with me when I was leading. And, <laughs> and funny enough, I mean, I, I bring this up. This is, this is a testament to dri your driving that I'm about to start a little section of complimenting you. So don't get used to it. Um, no, but I, this, this is, well, yes. But I was in a bitch basket. I'm in a Mark 1 Volkswagen Cabriolet with stock Scirocco 16 valve suspension on it. Nothing special at all um, with fairly grippy tires. And you're in a GT3 Touring and you couldn't keep up at all. Yeah, like, because I kept hitting the front splitter. Right. And this is the problem is we don't, I'm not out down in LA chasing um, what's a, a big like upper big Tahunga road, which is hundred mile an hour, 120 mile an hour straights with 80, 90, 100 mile an hour sweepers. I have no interest in that. Yep, My cars would not do well there. I don't want to, to find out what I found out in college. I never want to re-experience what goes wrong at hundred miles an hour on a back road. It's horrifying. It's life-changing. And in the case, in my case, I'm lucky to be here no thanks i'm happy to do that at 30 like there were, there were some hairpins that i was sideways around at 34 miles an hour laughing my ass off um but really it's the it's typically the what we would do not what the car could do and we find we we find ourselves in cars that are less expensive less capable um and still more than enough for what we want to do in these back roads i find it so incredibly ironic that you think you'd ever be holding me up for two reasons. Number one, there is no contained rage here. It's not uncontained. Yeah, it's 100% uncontained. If, if I wanted, if you were slowing me down and I were frustrated, there's no question I would be flashing you the same way I'd be flashing anyone in a Subaru or Prius or any, any other car driving on a back road, right? That's, you would know. The second thing is you are an incredible driver. And so I, and I don't give out compliments publicly. <laughs> But no, I don't accept I mean, them publicly. Good. Well, you can sit there and not accept it. But in 600 miles, I saw you make two of 600 miles of near limit behavior. I saw you make two tiny little mistakes. One was you oversteered uh, around a corner, hitting a patch of dirt, but then gathered it immediately, barely left the lane. And we were doing 30 something miles an hour. And this was the only one time when I think you saw red and were going 10 tenths because you had ditched your passenger for one section and he was in my car and you thought, oh, it would be fun to have him really watch this. And you were I right. I think also like the, that if there's another, not another body that I'm responsible for, then I'm more willing to haul the mail. You were hauling the, the whole fucking UPS truck. <laughs> Holy shit. You were moving. And of course that had made me laugh that, well, hold on. 
it's such a rare thing for you to get sideways. So like, you know, me on the other hand, I'm behind you. I know I can use your taillights and your brake lights as a guide that no one's in front of you. So if I see you've made it around the corner, I can feed and throttle more quickly, tighten my line and drift through to catch you before the next corner, especially in these two cars because you have so much more grip than I do. Um, I should say your 964 has so much more grip than the, than the E30 does. But uh, you saw red and you went for it. <laughs> it was so awesome to watch. And it occurred to me that it's a rare sight to see hyphen sideways. And what is a sideways hyphen but a slash? <laughs> so now your new nickname will be slash every time you're sideways. Which um, we also <laughs> learned this weekend is also Australian British. Uh, colloquial, British colloquialism for having a piss on the yeah, side. Yeah, this is Patsy Stone from Absolutely Fabulous. And right, I have a, half a slash. Yeah. Fantastic. So, um, yeah. So, I, your double you're a piss boy. <laughs> I just brought that on myself. You did. You just pissed on yourself. <sighs> um, and so, hold on. There were two things I was going to say. Oh, the other, the other incident you had was a very surprise uh, decreasing radius corner that did not appear to be decreasing radius until after it had already started to decrease. And you just understeered halfway into the oncoming lane. Of course, no double yellows. These are really narrow roads. And, you know, one day, hopefully, you know, it, there'll be the most we'll ever have is a close call, but there's usually no one around. We'll go sometimes an hour without seeing another car. Yep. Um, and yeah. you did, but that's, that's saying something for that amount of time at those speeds to not have moments. You really yeah. Well, doing. that close to the limit. And I mean, I, I always, I, mean, I don't struggle actually. I don't struggle at all between that and being on track. Um, I was going to bring that up. Have you done a lot of track driving? Um, I mean, I had an SCCA competition license for a season when I was a teenager and then uh, like one or two track days a year, hmm. maybe car or motorcycle. We need to go and do a track day together. Uh, I'm really curious to see what you're like because you're so precise on the road. Um, it's, it's fun to watch you drive. Your driving style is very clean and neat until you can see around the corner. And it's fun to watch your Porsche turns to quote Vicki Butler Henderson from Top Gear back in the day. She was like, it changes directions faster than a bull bearing in a pinball machine. And that's how you are on the 911. You tend to, you sort of kind of cautiously head towards the, like on a right-hand bend, for example, you sort of cautiously tend towards the, the left side of, the, of, of your lane. And then once you can see the whole way around the corner, you jink left and then fling the fucking car to the right. And it's um, it's magic to watch. I mean, the back of that car just kind of dances around so subtly. It is art, moving artwork to watch your car. I love the way that car, I mean, you know, I was in the city and I had a guy on a motorcyclist pull up to me and he yelled through over the noise of his bike and through my open window. He was like, the way that that car changes directions is sensational it's to watch. And yeah. I was like, this is in like in the city of San Francisco, like driving around the city streets. What were you doing? <laughs> I, was, I think you just tacitly admit, admitted was, you were doing evil things. The corners are tight in this city, so <laughs> the limit is not very many miles per hour. It's probably going 19 miles an hour. <laughs> yep. No, but the, the car does genuinely change directions in the most insane looking way. Um, so I'll just see the back of the car and all of a sudden I'm like, wait a second. Boink! And I then see the side and there's no transition between seeing the back and seeing the side. It just happens. Um, That's why I love that car so. But I was it, so I sort of got thinking. You were you had mentioned that you would, were going to do a track day in that car, and then uh, and then you looked into track day insurance from all things Haggerty, and it was of course a lot of money because your car is now worth a ton of money. Um, I mean, that's the thing. I I have to not think about how valuable it's become because to me, it will always be a sort of twenty five thousand dollar car, mm -hmm. at, at least in my head. I'm not mm -hmm. certainly not thinking about that while I'm driving. And suddenly the car has become really valuable because the car market is insane right now because everybody else has figured out something that I've known for over a decade. <laughs> Get off my lawn! Um, <laughs> and, first. Uh, exactly. This is my elderly lawn. Um, and so, yes, I, I got a, a quote for track day insurance for it because the Miata was on street tires and I didn't want to reconfigure it. And so I said, I'll just take the 964. Wrong. Uh, the insurance was like a grand for a track day. Uh, it's a and it's it, the car's valuable enough that I don't want to do it without coverage because mm -hmm. of course if you do a track day then and I asked my brother about this because I shouldn't probably admit this publicly. I asked not your brother. You asked someone who's I not asked your brother. someone who's not my brother about this about a car that wasn't that car that I was asking about that was six figures that he tracks and I was like, do you get insurance? And he's like, no, because it would be prohibitively expensive. I mean, it'd be like 
the number of track days that this hypothetical individual might hypothetically do is, you know, hypothetically more than hy- hypothetically approaches, uh, I don't know, at least every other month. Uh, but it would be five figures of track day insurance a year. I got to say, I think I did more damage on this one 600 mile rally to this car cosmetically than I have in all my track days combined because there's, there's shit on the roads that you just don't get on track. There are rocks, there are trees, branches, there are all kinds of other stuff. I think I have it on video. Pedestrians. You, I didn't hit any pedestrians this weekend. Okay. We're not going to talk about that. Um, yeah, but but at the same token, if you're if you're tracking a car that's has any real value, you have a, a huge exposure to risk. And that occurred to me while we were driving. After you said that, you looked into track day insurance. We were covered. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I have Haggerty on my cars. I have fifteen years, and I'm thinking, never stop driving. <laughs> really? <laughs> they pay. Are their, you sure? Their, yeah. You if sure you look at this? the actuarial <laughs> accounting associated with us as customers, it's, yeah. so apparently, my mom says that credit card companies call. Uh, their customers who pay off the bill every month in full deadbeats because the credit card company doesn't make any money on those people. And I have to think that like insurance companies have to regard us in the same way in terms of like actuarially, like if you put it in front of the person who does all the math to figure out the risk associated with a particular customer, they go, Oh my God, we shouldn't be insuring that person. But if Haggerty only knew what we really did to our cars. Yeah. But also, (laughs) but you look at our claim histories also. And like, I, I, I think I claimed a windshield, on my R129, and well, the GT3, but that wasn't me. Yeah, I mean, I've had I've had a couple claims. D- to be honest with you, the reason that I fell in love with the Haggerty brand is with a claim. The first claim that I had after I think seven years of coverage was I hit a deer in my E30 wagon, and that was the way that Haggerty. Hey, I would tell you guys, this is not a you know Haggerty is my employer, but. Sorry, I tell you if it was the other way around. The way that whole claim went down on that car versus what I had been through with another insurance company that's not called State Farm um, on my Scirocco years earlier, I was like, there's no way. Like, I would never, ever, ever risk having traditional car insurance on my cars. Um, and so I don't worry about it. Like, you know, and it if it costs I know, less than State Farm. Or for me, when I switched, it <laughs> saved me about a third. It saved at at the time, but the problem now that I'm having is I'm trying to keep the insured value of my cars uh, ahead of the uh, well with so with the replacement value ahead of the market value because there's costs associated with. Do you know Donald Osborne? I know know of him. him. Right, so he's he is a friend of mine. He's been on Jay Leno show, whatever, and he's you know sort of a value an appraiser. And years ago, I asked him to please appraise. Tell me what my Scirocco was worth. And he was like, let me drive it. And I was like, no. And he had apparently had a Scirocco 16 valve back in the day. And I don't let anyone drive the car. And I'm like, I'll make you a deal. You can take the car around the block if you tell me what all my cars are worth. And he just, he very casually, he drove the car. He was totally fine. He's a sweetheart of a guy. And, but he said, listen, remember, you're not insuring market value. You're insuring replacement cost. And that was a distinction that I had never made. I learned that lesson the hard way when I hit a deer in that E30. I think I had it insured for like 12,000 bucks or something. And market value on it at the time was probably 15 or 18 or something. But replacement cost on that wagon was far, far, far in excess of that. So, he, you know, his his speech to me was, all right, look, somebody wrecks the Scirocco. Somebody takes the Scirocco. It gets taken away from you one way or another. You're going to sit on your fat ass and eat bonbons while someone else looks for a car for you. And then they're going to send you a link and then say, hey, I found one in, you know, the Czech Republic. And you'll fly there and you'll look at it and be like, mm, it smells. And you'll fly home. And then he'll find you another one in Bosnia. And you go to Bosnia and you check out the car and say, that's right. And so then you fly home. The car gets shipped home. It goes to a body shop, gets painted the way your car is painted. And then while you're sitting there, someone else builds the two liter that you have in that car, does all the suspension mods, does all the rest of the stuff, builds it and hands it to you with a bow on it. What does that cost? And I was like, oh my God, that's like three times what the car is worth. And he's like, that's replacement cost. And I thought he was kind of stupid because I'm an idiot and I always think I'm right, until I had that accident in the E30. And all of a sudden, now the car is effectively totaled um, because there was as much damage as the car was valued. Haggerty was great, worked with me on that. I did not want a, a, a salvage title on the car. So I took a, a smaller payout and then I paid the difference myself. And now the car is insured for what it would cost for me to go find another E30 in that condition or paint it to that condition and build a motor and all the rest of the stuff that I've done with it. And so I don't, I take the cars out I don't, think about they're insured for enough enough of a value that i wouldn't feel gypped if anything happened and so my premium <laughs> is reflects huge. that reflects that and so it, it 
it's probably twice at this point, probably what, what I would pay to a, a traditional insurance company or, you know, 50% greater or whatever, but I don't care because don't the difference care. between fighting with state farm over giving me $5 for my car and Haggerty saying, this is the agreed value would is worth. Yeah. That's the important of, of guaranteed value right. also. Yeah. I swore I was never going to do a Haggerty commercial on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, in fact i think i told I my boss did, like, did a but, good job of that i mean but the reality is i've been customer for i've just 16 and a bit years and an employee for a year and a half and sorry so that's why i'm willing to do this and i was thinking about that continuously as we were coming around corners with volvos that are stopped it's like we're covered i got this we're on a public road and this is not a haggerty thing this is an, a, a public right. road insurance thing versus a track day and haggerty does have track day insurance but i've never bought it um I think I'd rather just drive on the road. Yeah. I feel the same way. I enjoy driving on the track. I mean, to be genuinely good at it requires a level of precision and sort of discipline where it's like, okay, this is my braking zone. And you're looking at the same turns over and over again. And you're sort of optimizing this. The being on the road is like, you're going places, you're experiencing the environment. Like it's a little bit spooky because you don't know what's around the corner, but you, you also have like, I guess that perhaps adds to the thrill. I think it's it requires less mental discipline. I think yeah. mental discipline of being a, a, a genuinely good on-track driver is substantial. I mean, when you watch like the guys in F1 where they're like, I left a tenth there or something right. like that. Like I'm, I'm not that kind of driver. I just don't have the expertise or the experience to do it. Me neither, but that's not... Here's my, my, th my thought on it. Track is repetitive, right? So driving on a track is a really important tool to becoming a better enthusiast. And we've talked about this before. Because it allows you to repeat things over and over and over until you get it right, or mm -hmm. until you, as you, you know, until you stop getting better at the, at the very least, right? Um, and so I love that about track driving because it teaches, uh, it, it teaches you how to manage that one corner over and over and over and over again. And I love chasing lap times. I love seeing how how quickly I can get to my fastest lap time, and then you know, finding out that I'm still two seconds slower than Randy Pope's, something like that. But but it's repetition and what i that's a good thing and a bad thing what i love about what we do on these back roads is it's constantly changing every corner we're there for the first time we have no idea what's on the other side of that corner even if you've been on that road once before maybe it's different now maybe there's a dog in the middle of the road god forbid you know maybe there's a volvo stopped so the if if driving on a racetrack is a three out of four or four out of ten um in terms of the attention you need to pay to what's going on and the amount of stimulation you're getting, what we do is an eight or a nine. It's genuinely exhausting. I mean, it's like rally driving, right? That's what rally drivers do. And that's why oh rally God. is such an impressive sport mm -hmm. because these guys are out there hauling through the, the environment like this and they're relying on the, the navigator. Who's Some twat in the other seat. Right guy. three he's into like, lift two, don't blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And hoping that the thing that he has is in the right place. Otherwise, right. he's giving you instructions to go to Walmart or something like that. <laughs> should have made that left turn at albuquerque <laughs> um, um but what i found is that that the only thing track driving only becomes as fun as rally back road driving when you're racing when you're racing you have all of the other moving roadblocks that are unpredictable you don't know what the hell they're doing especially in lemons because yes. half the people on that track half the cars sh aren't roadworthy, much less track worthy and then three quarters of the drivers don't know where the fuck they're going. And so I thrive in that environment because it's just, it's, they're moving roadblocks, they're unpredictable, and you have to be able to get around them. Mm -hmm. Especially my, my, race, my race team's captain has built these cars that are just so stupid fast that I just feel like we're like, I have a Superman cape on in that car. So I'm faster than everyone in a straight line. I can outbreak them and I can outcorner them. So it just becomes a, how do I plot this corner from entry to apex to, to exit while accounting for the bonehead moves that they're going to do, not hit anyone and get through them so that I can pass the next six cars on that straight and in the next braking zone. And I love that. It's the most fun I've ever had in a car. And right below that, I mean, like in the same league is these, uh, these back road rallies we do. It's genuinely that yep. exhausting. Yes. Takes a lot of mental bandwidth. And like you get, you get in the day and you're like, I've been sitting all day and I'm exhausted. So the morning two, we got up. I, so I, I, my, we call each other rally wives. Jinsu, our friend Jinsu, and and I would share a hotel room. He got up in the morning and he's like, "Oh God, I'm sore." I'm like, "What is you sore for?" And then I went to go move. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my God, everything hurts!" Like all of these strange muscles I didn't even know I had hurt. 
And the joke was that every night at 8.30, we were all like hanging out in one of the rooms and everyone's half asleep. And I'm like, guys, it's 8.30. Nobody's going to bed. No one's giving up this early. And we slept. We were all out cold for eight to nine hours every single night. And then I don't know what happened to you on Sunday when we got home. But Saturday night into Sunday morning, I slept nine hours, dead to the world. Got in. We only drove three and a half hours, I think it was, before Beatrice sort of made it known that, that she was done for the weekend. She was like, I'm going to drop a, the corner of the suspension off, maybe we call it. Um, and I really thought when I said to everyone, like, hey, I, you guys go ahead. I think I'm just going to head home because it was an opportunity where we were close to the freeway. I could just get home. I really thought all of you guys were going to like, see ya. And everyone was like, yeah, no, we've gotten our money's worth out of this weekend. Like, we're exhausted. And nothing's gone wrong yet, right? right? Don't There's risk There's always it. that magical feeling when you get, like, I always feel so much relief when I get home after one of these where I'm like, okay, broken headlight, but didn't crash the car. No one got hurt. No one got hurt. Nobody broke the car. You know, didn't have to come home with a tow truck like I did last year. Yeah. Well, we'll go in that second. But I passed out. I got home. You guys all left. And two hours unconscious to the world. I woke up at like, you know, five o'clock. Like, where the hell? How did I sleep eight to nine hours every night? And then still came home and just out. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's the sign of a good time. It is mentally taxing for sure. And physically. It was good. Poor and on us. And the car's doing all the work. I know. That's the crazy thing. I'm I mean, I'm shocked that we all managed to do this and I mean, usually we have mostly Radwood era cars when we're doing this and like we have mechanicals. We definitely it have happens. mechanicals. I mean, you had one engine fail to proceed. It continued to proceed, but very smoky. Yeah. But otherwise and I lost my front right suspension last year. Yes, you did. I thought it was front left, but uh yes i only remember what side it was on it was because we had to park it up on a curb so we could re your what it was your upper shock mount so it's a strut car so the the shock actually locates the suspension and you were just driving along and steering wheel got a little wonky and you're like i think something's happened why is it so low in the left (laughs) um so we had to jack up the rest of the car and pull it up so we can just get the shock through the the tower and re-tighten it that was insane yeah that was insane but other than that, we don't really have any big, I guess. Yet. I mean, aside from when people happen. totaled their cars. Yeah. Both of them were effectively drivable, though, weren't they? I guess the Miata probably wasn't. I think it was. Radiator loss, maybe, yeah. in the in the 944. 944. Yeah, and they were both just, you know, one went straight off uh, into, you know, a little embankment. The other one slid off sideways into a little embankment. Little 10 mile an hour offs, really, at the end of the day. If they hit anything at all. If they didn't just kind of... Reap to a stop yeah which is the correct way to crash Frumping. i mean all of these so we were having the track versus rally discussion but i mean i think both of them fundamentally indicate a desire to learn to drive properly uh and that's something that i think is really critically important i'm i'm glad that i started that process pretty early um in both structured and unstructured ways mm-hmm. Uh, as a youth, because I always worry about this when you get people, and I, I'm genuinely curious because I think most people don't do what we do either because they don't have the roads or they don't have the appetite or whatever it is. But most people who drive their cars, you know, they have no idea what the limit behavior of the car is because either the limits are too high or they don't have an environment in which to do that. And I think it's really valuable and important to do that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of young drivers, and we were talking last episode about how your nephew, you had sort of created the ideal course, crash course. <laughs> Uh, in some cases, yeah. uh, to to cultivate a good young enthusiast. And I think the vast majority of people who like cars don't do that. I think a lot of people don't, it doesn't occur to them. I think a lot of people don't have the drive that you have to just say, I'm going to get a group of friends together and I'm going to find squiggly roads on the map. And you often pre-run them. But it really, if you if you think about the amount of enjoyment that we got out of this and you add up the gas bill, the repair, repair bills, um, and the hotels, it's really an inexpensive way to have a vacation that's genuinely brain resetting. Yeah. We went away and for, you know, five hours a day, just exercised. Like my watch kept throwing up uh, like, hey, are you working out? Hey, and <laughs> go back and look at my heart rate through the day. It's a workout. It's a genuine workout. Um, the funniest one was the elliptical one. It always is like, are you on a jog? Like what's going on? And this one was elliptical because it was one section of road that was just left, right, left, right, left, right. And it just kept buzzing. And I'm like, what is finally going on? And I look over and I'm like, elliptical. And now I got to take a picture of this because it's funny. So there'll be an insert. Sorry, I'm going to have to take up that picture. Uh, but it was hilarious. But it was just nonstop left, right. 
but yeah, I mean, the total cost of doing this for the weekend is on the order of several hundreds of dollars. And you're like, oh, that's like a cold air intake on yeah. a modern performance car or, you know, a set of tires or like, heaven forbid, somebody is buying a set of HREs and is spending four to $10,000 on that. And I have yeah. to wonder, like, are these people, I mean, some people, but we've talked about this, or I've, I think I've said this before. Some people like cars, some people like driving. Uh, and driving means different things to different people. For, for you and me, driving means like I'm at the limit and I'm listening to my tires f- mm-hmm. functioning. Uh, and I think most enthusiasts don't really do that with their cars. And I, I That's don't, don't want to be high horsey about it, but I get so much value out of that experience that I have to feel like people who just get out and are like, I've got my M3 and I put an exhaust on it and I put HREs on it. And I did blah, blah, blah. And I put tune on it. And I was like, do you use that car? I mean, you know, p- track guys get it. Because when you are on the track and you're at the limit and like that's really intense and you're just like holy crap and like that that to me that level of alertness and also experiencing the car because then you have this really intimate understanding of how the car behaves at the limit because you always read articles or whatever consume media where people are like that's an understeering mess or there's no balance between the front and back axles or the the power curve is such that you blah blah, blah and it's largely academic for people who haven't gone out and experienced and then so that and that's my soapboxes that everyone should go out and experience their car right. fully in some form either on a back road or on the track can i retract know. what i've said a second ago that that track driving is a three at a three or four out of ten yeah, i don't agree with that it's become that way for me because i do this for a living right i don't i don't lap cars for a living anymore and i very very rarely do go consecutive laps so sort of one corner at a time for filming um is usually involved being sideways and you know trying to get the car way above the limit as quickly past the cameras cameras as safely as i can so sort of normal limit smooth driving has become a sort of second nature for me but that's not the case and i forgot about that for the moment like what was life before i started doing videos for motor trend and sliding cars around professionally and track is an eight yeah. It is is an eight. It it tends to over time drop to a seven or a six. And that's but it's how still, endurance racers do their thing because right. the first time you ever go on a track, you go out for 15, 20 minutes, se- yeah, session, and you come back and you're like, my my mouth is dry and everything is shaking and like my, my I'm so so mentally alert when mm-hmm. that's happening and just like this is the most alert I've ever been. Like I could never think about like what am I having for dinner tonight or like that's why I never understood anyone putting music on while they're track driving. Like I have friends that would put like listen to songs i'm like you can't do this there's not enough unless you Mental have some bandwidth left yeah, there shouldn't yeah. be if there is you're not really there because you should be a hundred percent of your concentration should be on what you're doing and by the way what you're hearing yeah because our sense of hearing sense of sound sense of whatever our ears tell us a lot about what the car is doing dynamically um and i had this great instructor years ago who um who had a mark ii golf it wasn't even a gti mark ii golf a guy named jim kleberger i hope he's still still being uh, an instructor but he instructed for the porsche club in ohio and uh he would beat all the porsche guys around in his like just you know eight valve mark ii uh, golf and he would be like hear that listen to what your tires are telling me they're, they're screaming at you slow down and i'm like but i want to go faster you know like what's in my head and at beginning a student you think well you got to go fast to go fast well actually slow yourself down and your lap times will actually drop and yes, he would be because like because you're overworking tires and it, so you go right up to that point where the tires are like singing yeah. he always made me made me go for where my tires were singing singing a nice happy little tune he was very much like a bob ross type character yeah. but he was like listen for a happy singing and he was right i mean you could drop like two seconds off a lap time just by listening to what the tires are yeah. why would you it's have the stereo on it's called overdriving the car the same thing happens in airplanes over controlling your inputs are too big it's ham-fisted and you get into that you end up putting the apparatus whether it's a plane or a car in the wrong place mm. because you have commanded too much because you're sort of ham-fisted and you're not calibrated for the smoothness and the, the magnitude of inputs you need to get mm. the maximum out of the car every every driver is different i mean if you read articles about various racing drivers and you're like yeah that guy comes back and he hands you a shift lever when he gets out of the car whereas <laughs> this guy is like you could get through the entire race on one set of tires right and so like everybody has a different approach to going fast I think really good endurance racers are very sympathetic and it's very sort of like in tune Delicate. with the car. You, the, the, the goal is always to use as little steering input as you possibly can to get through that corner because yep. it's, it's like motor, motorcycles are the same way. You always see these guys dragging knee, but the goal that they tell you is to have the bike as close to upright as possible. And so 
Really? Yes. I don't understand motorcycle physics. Um, it has to do with tire contact patch. You don't want the bike leaned over. And so if you are dragging knee, that means you are like really at the limit of what the bike can do. But the goal is to hang off the bike and have the bike be as upright as possible. It's the same thing. It's, a, it's a, an analog to what you were just saying about giving the smallest inputs you possibly can uh, to get the car to do uh, what you needed to, to do. To do what you needed to do. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, I think that every person who's into cars should focus on the driver mod, as they call it, mm-hmm. instead of throwing money at aftermarket stuff. I mean, you do want to maintain the car. I would say maintenance one, driver setup tire, two. You know, maintenance tire. and tires. Yes, right. t- that's, I put as part of maintenance. Fair enough. Uh, and then start doing mods after. But mm-hmm. yeah, it depends on whether you're a driver or just a car enthusiast or both. I wouldn't say just a car enthusiast. I think that was a little high horsey. No, you're right. You're right. Um, no, but I totally agree with you. I mean, yeah. it, it's a different... It depends on the car, too. I mean, there's a fundamental assumption that this is a car that is meant to be driven. I mean, you dr- you own, like, a Mercedes 500E, and it's not going to be that type of car. But at least you should go track it. I, I, I made fun of you about high, high horsey because I feel the same way. I would have said it exactly the same way, or just a car enthusiast, right? You can be just a car enthusiast, and that's a wonderful thing. I celebrate that. But there are extra bonus levels that you yeah. can do, and having the experience of driving on track and, and not every car, that skill. Not every car needs to do that. I mean, if no. you're buying a Range Rover Classic or you're buying a Bentley Turbo R or you know any variety of interesting things that are not really good at the limit, you buy them for other reasons. Right. And like I fully admit to being one of those. I mean, some people. I think you are less like that actually than I am. Like everything that you have, if you can't haul ass in it on a back road, then you're kind of not interested in it. Oh God, am I that predictable? I think that's your your brand. Whereas I've had weird stuff like the Daimler Double Six and like Land Rover Defenders and stuff like that, where it's like it's more about the object itself mm-hmm. or the experience that it provides, but in a different way. In you know, it's way. very good at wafting, or like I feel like I'm driving a shed, or you know, whatever the experience that it offers that's not backroads forward. Yeah. But um, I think I need to buy that Suzuki Sidekick tin top that I really want. Because that would you be the only would like thing. to drive a shed. Well, I would like to drive a shed. I would like to not be predictable on the point where you, I, I think you just caught me that all my cars are, I, I drive for the, my, I, th- I tend to think I choose my cars because of the engines, but I think it's engines experience. plus dynamics. Yeah. It's oh. the experience overall, right. a certain type of experience. Yeah. Although Ferrari is the one, ironically, the Ferrari is the one that offers the least dynamic Dynamic grati- yeah, yeah. Gratifi- gratification yeah. at the limit. Except that at three tenths driving around following Subarus, it's a riot. Yeah. So interesting. Well, I think that in some everyone needs to do the driver it. mod. Do the driver mod and do a Derek Tamscott style hyphen rally. Yeah, find just find the roads. I mean they just this is why people are always like, Would you world. ever live blah 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 place? And I'm like, mm, I can't go haul ass three hundred and sixty five days a year if I wanted to. Like mm-hmm. that's what I love about being in the San Francisco area is that there's great roads, there's great terrain and then you don't the weathers. Them. Don't tell them. I mean people sure. already Yes, I mean sorry, this is a communist state that uh no one should move to You have small laws. You can't register anything here. It sucks. Yeah, mm. It's all yep. terrible and uh never <clears throat> never come here and rent a Prius and go on any good roads. No, 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 no. Go rent a Prius. I think I told you the best time that I ever so there's a road that <laughs> Well, I, sorry, don't be a moving roadblock. Yes, yeah, don't be a moving roadblock, but by all means go rent a Prius and destroy it on a back road. Get like a get around Prius that no one cares about and just go beat the shit out of it. Or someone owned road. by a corporate entity. Yeah, true. Because corporate entities are not people and we can abuse them. Yes, except for in the eyes of the law. They don't care. The law doesn't care if you abuse a Prius. Just buy the collision damage waiver, folks. (laughs) Return it in a (laughs) shoebox. Yep, as long as you pay the insurance. Um, All right. So in the meantime, you're going to go back to being Derek from ECME, even though we call you Slant Hyphen. I earned that. I think think we're going to have to put the video in. Oh, I don't want that on the public record. Okay, so I'll tease the video on my personal Instagram or something. No, we'll cut this out. Derek didn't get sideways, but there was a very clear poof of dust that came yeah, out. Yeah, no, I'm okay with it, actually. I initially thought you had just fucked up, and then I rewatched the video, and we have like a total of two minutes of video from three days, and somehow uh, when our friend got the camera out, it was like, camera out, hit roll, and within three seconds, you got sideways, and I was like, yes, we got him. So. Yeah, that is 100% true. I mean, yeah, I didn't realize there was dust. I was under the impression that I trail braked too late. But, you probably uh, did. Well, for the conditions, <laughs> which were slippery. <laughs> yes. Either way, no harm, no foul. And just a, just a bunch of bumps and bruises on Beatrice for following you too closely. 
um, yeah. which is just there to, to have but fun. That's why you bought that car. That's why I bought that it's, car. It's it was the ultimate luxury. The ultimate luxury car. The yes. ultimate luxury car is a shitbox. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, won't you join us again next time where we'll talk about more carmudgeonly topics? We were very positive this time. All right. Yeah. Next time we're going to bitch about everything. That's because we were talking about the one thing we actually like. No, we bitched about slow drivers. Oh, good. Thank God. We did it. Yep. Oh, we did it. Thank God. What a relief. All right. Until next time. Signal when you pull off. God damn it.